Hello, I'm Rod Butler. Welcome to Let God Speak. No one goes through life without experiencing some form of suffering. It may be such things as fear and terror at being bullied at school or work, pain from a debilitating illness, mental anguish caring for a dying family member, or numerous other forms of suffering. We can understand that the devil would be behind our suffering, but do we ever consider that sometimes our suffering is allowed by God? If God loves us, why would God allow us to go through suffering? Get your Bibles ready as we tackle this important topic. On our panel today, we have Rosemary Malkovich and Alan Sonta. Welcome. Thank you. Before we start our discussion, let's bow for prayer. Gracious Father, 1 John 4 verse 8 says that he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. We're going to be talking about why you, as a loving God, allow suffering in our lives. Please give us wisdom as we discuss this and wisdom to our viewers watching. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. American author Ellen White wrote in her book Ministry of Healing on page 472 how the master teaches the songbird to sing. I'd like to read the quote. It says, But the master covers the cage and places it where the bird will listen to the one song he is to sing. In the dark he tries and tries again to sing that song until it is learned, and he breaks forth in perfect melody. Then the bird is brought forth, and ever after he can sing that song in the light. Thus God deals with his children. He has a song to teach us. And when we have learned it amid the shadows of affliction, we can sing it ever afterward. Being in the dark was not much fun and not being able to look outside the cage wasn't much fun for the bird. But at least the bird wasn't distracted by the outside world. God allows us to experience uh, suffering so that changes can be made in our lives and God can make us a blessing too. We're going to start our discussion now by looking at the experience of the Israelites as they immediately left Egypt. When they left Egypt, they were overjoyed to be led by a mighty God. But Rosemary, how long did this joy last for? Not long. They forgot how God had brought the 10 plagues on Egypt and some of those plagues they didn't receive. They forgot about the miraculous Passover. They forgot about the um, supernatural pillar of cloud by day, uh, by day and the pillar of fire by night. Um, they forgot all these things. And so as soon as they got hardship again, they were upset. Let's look at Exodus 10, uh, Exodus 14 verses 10 and 11. And it says, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? So God had had them released by Pharaoh, but then Pharaoh changed his mind and came after them to bring them back. 
But God had also led them into a dead end between the Red Sea and the mountains. And when they saw the army coming and they couldn't go anywhere, they lost faith. They had seen all these wonderful things that God had done. But once again, their joy turned to mourning. They were lamenting and murmuring. They, they certainly complained. And we wonder today how they could forget so quickly <laughs> the way that God led them. <clears throat> Alan, why did God lead them into this predicament? These people had been slaves for several generations. And when you put a person in slavery, they come to the place where they can, can't even cope with freedom. They don't understand what it means to be free. And so when they left Egypt under the leadership of Moses, they really were just a, a group of people. They'd seen, as Rosemary said, they'd seen all these things that God had done, and yet it hadn't had an impact on their relationship with God. And so God had to take them into a place where they could see no human means of escape so that they would realize that God was the only means they had of escape, only means of living. But at the end of the day, they failed the test to trust in God but God did something. What, did, what was the outcome, Rosemary? Okay, God did two miracles for them. Although they were unfaithful in trusting God, God still did something good for them. So uh, the first thing he did, if we look at in Exodus 14, verses 19 and 20, I won't read them, but God had a, the pillar of cloud that was to lead them through the day and the pillar moved behind the children of Israel between them and the Egyptians. It made darkness for the Egyptians and the children of Israel had perfect light. So the Egyptians couldn't follow them in the darkness. That was the first miracle God did. The other miracle was, and that's from Exodus 14, 21 to 29, God opened the path through the Red Sea so that they could escape the Egyptians. Moses held out his uh, staff, his rod, and the waters parted. The wind came up and dried it all out through the night. And in the daytime, the children of Israel marched across. Remember, there were a lot of them. And then the Egyptians came along behind and started coming across this huge expanse of nothingness with the water on each side. And God released the waters and the Egyptians drowned. So their deliverance again at the mm. Red Sea was, was an amazing miracle. Yeah. And, which... and I was going to say that even, even this miracle was something that the other nations heard about. If we go to Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, we read from Rahab, who was the harlot in Jericho. And she said to the men that came as spies, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the sea, Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. This is 40 years later and it is still bringing terror to the people. Which is interesting. The impact on the nations was greater than the impact on the Israelites themselves <laughs> who were right True. amongst the, uh, the miracle. True. So, Alan, what did the Israelites learn from this and what can we learn? 
Well, they learned <coughs> that uh, God was there to help them. In fact, if we read uh, Exodus 14 and verse 31, we read there, Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Now, they saw the miracle. They were delivered. And they had this feeling, God has got us out of this problem. God is a great God. But they seemed not to have put that into their relationship with God. This is just, we've got a problem. God solved it. That's good. We fear God now. Yeah, no changes in the life. We just look at the next yep. thing that comes along. Mm-hmm. Mm. So having seen how God delivered them at the Red Sea, having seen these mighty miracles, they've now got their faith grounded. They're really solid with God, right? Uh, let's read Exodus 15, verses 23 and 24. Now, when they came to Marah, which was three days journey, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Here were the people. They've just come through this miraculous thing at the Red Sea, let alone what happened in Egypt. And they get to Marah and there's no water. And they are thirsty. Well, um, they were complaining to God. And God had to work a miracle for them to, make, to give them water so that they could drink. God was still miraculously working for them and doing good things for them, even though they were unfaithful. God then took them to Elam, where there was plenty of water. There were 70 palm trees and there were 12 wells. That's enough wells for each tribe to have their own. So God was providing abundantly for them. And it's interesting, when he led them to Mara, they were led by the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. So even the travelling, they were seeing a miracle every day. Yes, and God led them to a place where they couldn't drink the water. Well, God then leads them into the wilderness of sin. And Alan, they tested this time not with thirst, but with hunger. Tell us about that and what the outcome was. Well, we can read the story in uh, Exodus chapter 16 and verses 2 and 3. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. That seems incredible that they should respond in that faithless way after God had shown all these miracles. It just seems to me that uh, their problem solutions had not translated into any sort of relationship with God. Each time they just fell back to, we got another problem. Do something about it. And and they left, they, they didn't seem to translate that into a relationship. We have a God who looks after us. That that didn't seem to happen. Well, God then leads them to a place called Repidin, and there was no water there. So we have 
another test on first. <laughs> How do they go this time, Rosemary? Um, this time, the people complained again. Um, let's read Exodus 17, verse 3. And the people thirsted for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? That was their continual cry Everything, every time something went went wrong. Why did you bring us here to kill us? But the thing is that at Rephidim there was no water. So what God did was another miracle for them regardless of their faithfulness and God brought water out of a rock. They failed God again but he was still gracious. So it was God that was setting them up on these tests of hunger and, and thirst, thirst mm. to see where they stood in their relationship. <clears throat> Did the Israelites reflect on their behaviour after all this, Alan? Or did they remain completely just looking at what was in front of them? It seems as though they looked at each incident as an in, a separate incident. Let's look at Exodus chapter 17 and verse 7. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? So the name, of, uh, the name that was given to this place uh, was Massa, which means temptation, and Meribah, which means strife and contention. So th this incident was seen as uh, a exa an example of how strife and contention had spoiled their their relationship, but they hadn't developed that settled faith. They didn't seem to develop it. Because they wanted to remember that they, they didn't trust God by giving those yes, names. Yes, they, they uh, I think in a sense, they were beginning to realise that there was something wrong still, but they yep. hadn't got the solution. Well, God was deliberately putting them in these trials uh, so that they could learn things. And they were very tough situations. What can we learn? I mean, the, the, uh, the example of what the Israelites went through, uh, we can learn from. Tell us what lessons we can take from this, Rosemary. Okay. The Israelites kept forgetting that God was leading them with the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, that he'd opened the Red Sea for them. He'd even brought them out of Egypt in the first place. He, he provided them with water. He provided them with food. He saved them from the Amalekites when they attacked the camp. But they had a choice as to whether or not to believe God. In fact, there were three choices, and let me go over these with you. They had a choice first of whether to believe that God was indeed leading them faithfully. And if that was the case, then they should be learning to trust God because of the things he'd done in the past. Then we can trust him for the future. Um, another way was that they could blame God and say that God is unfair and they could rebel and, and disbelieve what God wanted them to do. In other words, they could reject God's leading. Um, another one was that they could believe that they were not being led by God at all, but this was just some journey that they were on that was not being controlled by anybody and maybe they'd made a mistake like they kept on saying. God wants us to apply this to our own lives today because 
when we believe we are following God and yet find ourselves in great crisis, we too can be tempted to behave just as the children of Israel did. But God wants us to learn the lesson that they were meant to be learning, to trust him regardless of what we're going through. One of those options you read was to, was to complain. Mm. It's interesting to remember there was potentially millions of um, mm. Israelites and the mixed yes. multitude. And it only takes a small section of people to complain. Complaining is contagious. It is. And they always took the, the complaining option first. Mm. And yeah. they had the mixed multitude with them who were not Israelites. They were Egyptians and others. Mm. And they were often the first ones to start to raise the objections and the problem. And it, it spread. It was like one bad apple in the bunch. And there's a lesson for us today too. We should not be carried along with complaining uh, mm. people. I want to move on now. We're going to move on to, we've just looked at the beginning of the the Old Testament with the Israelites coming out of Egypt. I want to move now to the beginning of the New Testament. <clears throat> and we're going to look at um, Luke chapter 4 and read verses, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. And we see a parallel here to uh, God leading the Israelites out of Egypt to Jesus being led into the wilderness. Verse 1 and 2. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward was unhungered. Now we see that parallel. Why is um, Jesus being led into the wilderness, Alan? Jesus had just been baptised. And because he had committed himself to God's plan in, for his life, God saw fit to lead him into a place where Satan was able to tempt him and to test him. And we read in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 2 in Matthew's account of this incident, and we read, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Now, I don't know if any of our listeners have tried fasting for 40 days, but it would seem to me that this is, uh, is going to leave somebody very weak and hungry. Mm. And uh, at the end of this period, Satan comes to Jesus and he tempts him. And uh, we read in, um, in, in Luke's account, over in Luke chapter uh, 4, and verse uh, 12 and 13, that uh, Jesus answered Satan with, uh, by quoting scripture. And when it came to the third temptation, Jesus just uh, gave a clear answer to Satan. Verse 12, and Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So here we find that Jesus is, is tempted severely on appetite, but he's also tempted on the whole objective of his mission because he had come to win the world. And Satan says to him, you don't have to go through the suffering of the cross to win the world. I'll give it to you just so long as you worship me. Hmm. And uh, Jesus said, 
get behind me. In other words, I am going to use God's way to solve the sin problem. I'm not taking it into my own hands to do my own thing. Yes, it was very powerful. He gained the victory over, over temptation. Rosemary, what can we learn um, from how Jesus gained the victory over temptation while he was suffering extreme hunger? Well, there's at least two things that we can learn. One of them is that the Holy Spirit did lead Jesus into the desert. He spent 40 days and nights there with God, communing with God, and then was tempted at the end of that time when he was at his weakest. But the other thing is that he met temptation with the word of God. He knew the word of God. He claimed the promises of God. And that is what fortified him against temptation. And we can do the same. If we read 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 57, um, it says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our example and he can give us his victory because he has already won against Satan and he gives us the strength to do it. The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus and the Holy Spirit can empower us as well. If we succumb to temptation, though, God in 1 Corinthians, First John 2 verse 1, it tells us that God will also forgive us through Jesus mm. if we make a mistake. But what he wants us to do is to come to him when we're being tempted, accept his promises, use them against Satan to submit to him, as James 4, 7 says, and resist the devil. Mm. Yes. Let's, let's move on now to, uh, to 1 Peter, because this tells us how our approach to suffering. I want to read 1 Peter. It's uh, chapter 1 and verses six and seven. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Now, Peter was no stranger to temptation and, uh, and suffering. In fact, the, uh, the early apostles all suffered persecution. And verse seven, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So the, the question I have to you, Alan, is um, all the apostles experience suffering. Um, what does Peter mean by telling us to rejoice in our suffering? The people that Peter wrote to were suffering persecution, quite extreme persecution in some cases. And um, Christians at the end of time, the Bible tells us, are also going to face some persecution. The, um, our, our faith is developed by suffering and uh, the amount of faith which we have is revealed by the, the uh, problems, the magnitude of the problems which our faith is, enables us to overcome. In other words, the more faith we have, the more the Lord is able to to lead us to trust him despite the problems we face. Yes, indeed, that's exactly right. Um, just want to look at that question of that uh, they're all suffering. Um, Peter says that we, ha we add virtues to our faith 
And one of the reasons for suffering is because we can see our true condition. Um, Rosemary, how do we relate our trials and temptations to our suffering? What's, what's the secret? Um, let's look at Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 and 7. There is, there is a list there of good moral standards, um, traits of character that we have to grow. It says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. If you go through these things, you'll see that they are progressive. You need one to get the next. And we are to grow step by step in these moral characters that God is wanting to put in us. Um, and we also will read uh, Jeremiah 17 verse 9. And that one says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the reason why God puts us through the trials is so that we can see those bad points in our characters that we may not have noticed. We may have pride, jealousy, animosity to talk towards someone. We may be intolerant of certain people. We may get angry easily. And it's by trials that many of these things are revealed to us so we can work with God to get rid of them. And if God doesn't put us through these things, we would never know. It's interesting, too, that some of these things that we get tested upon, because we think we're good people, we think we're fine, there's no problems with us. We get put into a trial, we see some ugly trait of character come out. We get tested. If we fail the test, what happens? We're tested again. Just like the Israelites were tested with water, but it was bitter. Then they were tested again with no water. So mm. put in that extreme position. So we too need to, uh, to look at that as well. So, um, Alan, if God allows trials in our life so we can see our character deficiencies, what must we be careful of when we see other people suffering? This is a very interesting question. If we go over to Job chapter 1 and verse 1, we find the account of a man who in God's eyes was seen as blameless. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Here we get a description of a man who is very, a very righteous man. In fact, God calls him a righteous man. And yet we are allowed to see behind the scenes and we see that, in fact, Job, Satan, Satan is allowed to test Job. And his friends all came and said, all these problems you're having must be because you're a bad man. And Job said, no. And uh, we must remember that uh, we mustn't judge other people no, because of the problems they they're face. They're at all different stages of grace. So thank you for those comments. I was just going to say, God just wants to get us into heaven. Correct. God wants us to grow in grace as individuals, but that growth can be held back by some of our character traits that need purging. God knows that the only way for us to see these traits is for us to go into a crucible of suffering. It is then that we see our true heart condition and with God's strength, we can overcome our negative traits. We thank God that he loves us so much that he permits trials for our spiritual growth. Thank you for joining us on Let God Speak. Remember all past programs plus teacher's notes are available on our website, 3abinaustralia.org.au. 
Email us if you wish on lgs at 3abinaustralia.org.au and join us again next time and God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.